Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. The three of us, we just were curious to see if people in that charged time could actually talk to one another, would actually talk to one another. And it was really as simple as that. We didn't say, let's start an organization, blah, blah, blah. We just wanted to see what would happen if people would actually try to talk with one another rather than, you know, shout at one another. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Corey Nathan, guest hosting today. Thank you for joining us for Braver Story, Democracy Reignited. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Village Squarecast is part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. Today's program is about a wonderful organization called Braver Angels. Braver Angels is a national movement that's been built by real patriots. Uh, And these folks volunteer their time and talents to bridge the partisan divide And the organization is equally balanced between conservatives and progressives at every level of leadership. They work in communities, on college campuses, in the media, and even in the halls of political power. In this program, you'll hear a behind-the-scenes view of this special group of Americans, how they formed, what they've learned, and where they're going next. This program is facilitated by Manu Meal the CEO of Bridge USA, who Liz Joyner, our renowned leader of Village Square, introduces in more detail. And then Manu introduces all the contributors from Braver Angels. So without further ado, let's turn it over to Liz. It is now my pleasure to reintroduce tonight's facilitator, Manu Meal. Manu's back for a repeat, repeat performance. He is a social entrepreneur who's passionate about empowering young people. Manu is, a, um, is uh, he, after the protests on, actually, I was looking at his face because I was hoping I could kind of embarrass him just a little bit as I introduced him. Um, after protests on the campus at UCAL Berkeley over a planned visit by right-wing provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos inspired then-freshman Manu Meal to establish what has now become Bridge USA, an organization that aims to promote democracy, not partisanship, and now has campus chapters in states all over the country from sea to shining sea. Manu was recently named to Forbes 30 Under 30 in education. And I really am only half kidding when I say that you want to get to know Manu now before you have to go through security at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue because 
He's just that kind of guy. Manu, welcome back. Grateful to be here, Liz. Thank you. And very excited to join you again. It's um, one of the things that I hope to convey um, through this program is just the number of relationships that exist across the country that are working together all the time on this problem of ours. And um, our relationship with Manu and his Bridge USA team is one of the ones we value the most. And I would just say that the movement that's building the amazing organizations you've listed, the work that you're doing, it means the world. And importantly, there's very few things I get brought back to. So thank you for keeping me <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe that. So um, speaking of organizations that we have deep affection for, let's just bring in all the braver angels now. All right, I'm going to start with Mr. Blankenhorn, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Liz. Uh, David Blankenhorn, I'm the president and one of the three co-founders of Braver Angels. Bill Doherty. Uh, hi, I'm Bill Doherty. I'm also one of the co-founders and the chief architect of our mm -hmm. workshop designs. Donna. Hi, I'm Donna Murphy, a proud Braver Angels leader since 2017, and currently I am the director of our one-to-one -one conversations. And John. Hey, folks, John Wood Jr., a Brave Rangers National Ambassador. Luke. I'm Luke Nathan Phillips. I work on the Brave Rangers debate team out of Washington, D.C. Coming to us from the Hamilton, correct? <laughs> That's historic Hamilton. Um, and Gabby. Hi, guys. I'm Gabby, and I am my director of social media. Um, so, Manu, you may not know, and maybe the rest of the Braver Angels team doesn't know, that my adventure with Braver Angels started when there was no Braver Angels at all. And it started, um, importantly, when one David Blankenhorn was flying down to Tallahassee, Florida, and we had 200 people there for dinner. And it was called An Evening with David Blankenhorn. And David Blankenhorn, by the hour, was sitting on an increasingly snowy tarmac in new york city and you were either like the last person to get out last plane to get out or pretty close to it right last plane so while he sat for hours and hours on the tarmac we basically were trying to figure out what you do with 200 people who have come to hear an evening with david blankenhorn without david blankenhorn <laughs> and so that that was the beginning of our, our of our ride together and since then, I just want to say, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Manu, that this is an extraordinary group of people. Uh, it has been such a joy to watch this go from an idea in David's brain to manifest in the world in the way that it is, and then to meet all of you all individually. I, I don't think that I have as much joy about any work that I have nothing to do with <laughs> as, as I do about yours. So um, in saying that, I'm going to um, part ways and enjoy the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Liz. Thanks so much. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for all you do. And, and welcome, everybody. Welcome um, to the, uh, the amazing Braver Angels team, some folks that have been doing some amazing work. And importantly, I just want to thank again, Liz, Florida Humanities, Braver Angels, um, uh, Village Square for all the work that you all do, all the amazing other movement partners. I help lead an organization called Bridge USA. We call ourselves jokingly the young people that support Braver Angels. And so we're grateful to you for listening in. And I'm grateful to be here again. And, and importantly, just before we always get started, I always like to just quickly outline the structure of this conversation for the audience, because your time is what matters. And most importantly, we want you to leave this conversation empowered and ready to take the step towards figuring out how we 
strengthen our democracy. And so the way that we're going to structure this is we're going to get right into a discussion um, with the amazing leaders of, of Braver Angels um, for about an hour. And then we'll go into about 15 minutes of questions where please send in your questions. I will be listening in and we'll make sure to ask all your questions and then we'll end and we'll close out. And hopefully that sounds good to everybody. So without further ado, I have to ask you, um, the way that I've structured this conversation, um, team, as I was talking earlier, was just the why, why are we here, the what, what are we exactly doing, and how do we make this happen? So with the why, I just want to get started right into it. David and Bill, either of you can take this question. Um, tell us what you saw at the very beginning of Braver Angels that caused you to jump in. Um, why go on this journey that I know you get a lot of critique from and a lot of pushback for? Well, the day after the 2016 presidential election, um, I called a friend of mine, David Lab, very important Brave Rangers leader now, who lives in South Lebanon, Ohio, small town in Warren County, went 70% for Trump. And I live in uh, the Upper West Side, and you'd probably need a search warrant to find anybody in my neighborhood that voted for Trump. So uh, we were talking about the, just the different worlds, and it was a people had so many strong feelings, and there was a lot of, I don't know, a lot of just, you know, polarization in the country over that election. So we decided right there on the phone that we would have a meeting uh, in South Lebanon two weeks from, three weeks from that day, 10 people who had just voted for Trump and 10 people who had just voted for Clinton, we would try to have them talk to each other and we'd just see what happened. And um, so David went out and organized it. And um, as we got closer and closer to the date, David pointed out that we didn't have an agenda. Uh, this didn't bother me too much, but it disturbed uh, David Lapp. And he said, let's call our mutual friend, Bill Doherty, because Bill knows something about agendas. Him, haw, him, haw. I said, okay. So uh, we got on the phone and I'll let Bill take it from there. Yes. I was sitting in my office in my home office in St. Paul, Minnesota, and David told that story. And I said, that's pretty brave, David. What were you thinking of doing with these people when you got them together? And then he said they didn't know. Uh, and um, they weren't they weren't directly asking me, though, Manu. It was like, um, oh, we're looking for a date. But so uh, like me, uh, maybe me, you know, I was like, I, so I said, gee, if you're open to maybe little input, um, uh, I would be happy to offer it. I didn't want to impose um, and uh, then they said yes, and I, I have to admit that uh, I was it was I was the most nervous of anything I've ever done professionally in my career about what the heck we would do with these people. Thirteen hours over a weekend, right? Uh, several weeks after, after the election, uh, and that's how we got started because as uh, it was an extraordinary experience. And what I what I'd like to add is that in my mind, this could have been a one off, you know, a great story. Ask me what I did in December of 2016 and then pour me some more wine. OK, we didn't um, really have a plan. We, we, it was just we just in, in my mind. And I think, Bill, you say what you think. But the three of us, we just were curious to see if people in that charged time could actually talk to one another, would actually talk to one another. And it was really as simple as that. We didn't say, let's start an organization, blah, blah, blah. We just wanted to see what would happen if people would actually try to talk with one another rather than, you know, shout at one another. So well, one thing that I want to underscore that's, that's clear within both what Bill and David, you've said, is that it was ordinary Americans like those listening in 
that got together and said, hey, we've got to con- we want to do something about it in South Lebanon, Ohio. Let's get involved. Now, most importantly, I've got my hands full because I've got an amazing team of folks that I want to get to. And so I have to ask you this, and I'll go to John first, um, because John, as we were talking about prep, it seems like you've got a cult-like following. And so it's only natural that I transition to you with this Abraham Lincoln quotation. Um, uh, you know, there's a quote that you all often use at Braver Angels, and it says, the occasion is piled high with difficulty and we must rise with the occasion. And then I'll make sure I get to Gabby, Luke, and, and Donna about your whys. John, if you want to transition us into that, why did you rise to the occasion? Um, and why did you join these three amazing gentlemen and get involved in building this movement? Yeah, well, you know, um, there is a, there's a long road that brought me to, to Braver Angels. I'll skip most of the details for the sake of time, but I'll say that one thing that folks in my my cult following uh tend to know about me is that I come from sort of a sort of an unusual um family background uh my mother's a liberal black democrat from inner city LA my father's a conservative and a white republican from from Tennessee uh, I sort of grew up at the intersection of different cultural and and sort of ideological uh, points of view, different ways of looking at the country. And I think I always saw myself in different parts of the American family because different parts of the American family were represented in my own family. And so, you know, I, I always had an orientation to trying to make space for people to understand one another more deeply, more empathetically, and and to see each other as, as uh, their fellow Americans. Now, specifically, you know, I had been a nominee for Congress. Um, I was Republican nominee for Congress. I ran against Maxine Waters way back in 2014. It feels like a lifetime ago now. How'd that work out, John? Well, I'm here, aren't I? So, <laughs> uh, which is not a bad place to be. I tell people I'm glad I lost. Like, <laughs> Um, no, I got the long end of the stick. Didn't realize it at the time, though. You know, I tried to, I ran a, a really a sort of a hope and change Republican. I, I tried to sort of bring um, each side together, and I, I tried to bring that point of view to the Republican Party on an institutional level. I was vice chairman of the LA County GOP for a while, and that didn't go that well. And um, so then I set about launching this digital media met- network, which sort of sought to do the same thing, had some headaches in the course of that. Uh, but then at a certain point, a good buddy of mine by the name of Luke Nathan Phillips, who I met. Through, I hear he's on this call. I hear you. I hear he's on this call, too. somewhere skulking around in that in that restaurant we both love. Um, uh, he uh, Luke, who I met through no labels originally, um, turned me on to the existence of this organization then called Better Angels. And um, I looked at. The website, it's like these people are about exactly the thing that I'm about. Um, I have been working on this digital sort of media uh, strategy um, and um, was really interested in being involved. Hey, citizens of the Village Square, Corey Nathan here. Some folks might recognize my voice from introducing some of the episodes of this fine program, but I'd like to take a moment to let you know about another podcast that's committed to having meaningful conversations about important topics, just like the ones you appreciate right here on Village Squarecast. It's called Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. I know. Listen, (laughs) we're not supposed to talk about politics and religion. At least that's what we've been told. Why is that? 
It's because the loudest, most extreme voices seem to have taken all the oxygen out of the room. And that's where talk of politics and religion without killing each other comes in. Each week, we bring in a diverse array of elected officials, renowned faith leaders and academics, brilliant writers and journalists, many of whom are high profile public figures that we all know and love. But it's also about regular folks like me bringing in a friend when we have some big disagreements just to see if we can do this thing better to try to well, talk about politics and religion without killing each other. We're really easy to find on Apple, Spotify, and all the major podcast apps, as well as uh, the website, which is www.politicsandreligion.us. That's www.politicsandreligion.us. So if you believe politics and religion are too important to let the screamers and extremists drown out the rest of us, and you want some more provocative, deep diving, yet neighborly and fun conversations about this stuff, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. I suppose I could just lob the ball over to Luke at this point, maybe, because the, uh, no, you want me to keep going? Well, uh, just, just really quickly, John, I do, before we get to Luke and Gabby, I have a spe- mm-hmm. I want to keep us young people and that side of the conversation separate. So I want to first and, and most importantly, sure. bring in one of the other earliest leaders of Braver that got involved and, and really pioneered a lot of the work that you're doing. Donna, could you just quickly take a second to maybe articulate why you got involved in this work? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, I heard about uh, Better Angels called at the time on NPR in the spring of 2017, talking about their second 13-hour workshop. And then in that summer, I was asked to organize the third and the final 13-hour red-blue workshop. Uh, we shifted to three and six-hour red-blue workshops at that time. But in order to organize that, I needed to get together eight blues and eight reds. So I lived entirely in a blue bubble. And so for me to do make that organization, I had to break out of that bubble and get, get eight reds. I infamously uh, went someplace I never would have gone otherwise, which is I went into gun shops because mm-hmm. I thought I could find some blues, some reds there. Uh, and I had to just talk to the Republican um, organizations, you know, to find those, those eight reds. So, uh, I didn't know, I uh, didn't have good friends who were Reds at the time working with Braver Angels on this mission to depolarize America. I have lots of Red friends now. And for our first convention in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I live in Virginia, I drove down there with three Reds in my car. It's yeah. been a wonderful journey. You've got, you got Virginia, you've got Los Angeles, you've got Ohio. And now I want to shift to 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 the amazing uh, younger leaders that have sort of really helped evolve the organization to something amazing. So, um, Luke, I know your name was mentioned. Do you want to quickly just jump in and, and give us a reason for why you got involved in all this back Short, in the day? Shortly after uh, John and I met in the Rose Garden at Expo Park, and I accidentally introduced him to this fantastic organization he and I have been uh, working in for a while. Um, I uh, moved back to Washington, D.C., lived in my parents' basement, worked night shifts in this restaurant here, the Hamilton, and continued my ongoing explorations in historical musing and political theory and all that stuff. Um, And John asked me to do some editing work for uh, the BA blog back then, so I agreed, but I was really focusing more on 
uh, what I wanted, was thinking on as a career in the foundations of American government, the understanding of the things that make the cycles of American history tick, the way things move forward and how the divisions and everything like that uh, echoes over time. And at some point or another in 2019, after I'd been um, starting to work in the debates team and uh, continuing my political studies, it clicked to me that in the work of depolarization, in the unconditional magnanimity towards one's fellow citizens that uh, is breathed and lived in everything Braver Angels does, I found the missing key and the missing link to almost every question in political science and political theory um, that I had been then and still am now wrestling with and studying. And so for me, my journey to Braver Angels uh, passed through many strange ways with many great friendships and many great conflicts through it all. Uh, but the ultimate thing that's mattered to me about it has been uh, questions of public discourse, questions of political theory, questions of American identity, and uh, how the lived practice of a certain little thing that John calls love and others call charity and others call depolarization um, has bigger, broader implications to the very way of life America has um, that I think is often understood just at first glance. Uh, and now I do stuff for Braver Angels in DC, hang out with my fellow useless intellectuals and try to convince them that depolarization is far more interesting than they think and uh, chair a lot of debates for April Lawson's Braver Angels Debates Program, which I would love to chat with people about it further length here later. Um, but that's why I got it. And I've learned a lot from a lot of people, including uh, my other young colleague here, Gabby Timmis, who is far more astute on the actual utilization of these ideas for messaging than I have ever been or ever will be. Oh, I don't know about that, Luke, but I, I do appreciate the past. Um, but yeah, so I was born and raised in um, a swing district in the swing state of Michigan, and I'm the youngest of four. So I just kind of came out thinking that my opinion needed to be heard. Right. I was always scrapping for attention in that way. Um, I was voted most opinionated in my high school. So that's just all you need to know about that. Um, so then I, um, after college, I went on and worked in national news, but I felt like, you know, after, while I was working there, I was like, I really don't understand where the, what the average American thinks. I can tell you about what's happening on this national level, but I don't know what people are actually reacting to it. Um, at the same time, I was also uh, had, had the idea to try to facilitate some of these political conversations on my Instagram. And so I'd have people kind of write into me different perspectives and living in New York City and being from Michigan, I got a really great range of perspectives but I came to realize how difficult it is to have really good political conversations. So I did the thing. I kind of searched, you know, is there an organization doing anything about this and found Braver Angels, basically quietly stalked Braver Angels for many months, um, followed all the leaders. And then one day saw Monica Guzman um, tweet that they were looking for a field reporter um, to write the stories of Braver Angels. Um, given I was in grad school at the time, but I have a media background. And um, when I was in grad school and people said, what do you want to do? Which was a very valid question. <laughs> I said, um, I want to work at the intersection of media and polarization. And people were like, what does that mean? And I didn't quite know what that meant. Um, but when I saw that posting, I just jumped on it immediately and found my way here. So yeah, happy to be well, here. It's a, it's a privilege to, to, to have met you, Gabby, over the past couple of months. And importantly, your story and what Luke is talking about, and what others have said here, it's a story of how folks 
have rolled up their sleeves, got involved. Importantly, all of us had value. So let's actually get to the meat of Braver Angels. What do we actually do? How do we fix this problem of polarization? Um, and this part we can be relatively open with in terms of a discussion. So feel free to jump in. Um, but I would just direct the first question specifically with you, Bill, um, with the first ever program, which was the Red Blue Workshop, um, which is designated around the principles of marriage therapy, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, what was that program like? And and how did you develop that program? And again, I would just remind us, all of us to sort of stay brief so that all of us can add value to the conversation. Bill? You're telling me to be brief, Manu? Was that, yeah, was that good, good luck is, with isn't that? Isn't that a law of marriage therapy? <laughs> you you that... said that very, very smoothly. You didn't say it to anybody else on the screen, like John. Okay. Okay. Yes, I'll be brief. Um, so yeah, so I have a background in marriage therapy, family therapy. And um, basically, for that red, first Red Blue workshop, I pulled together everything I knew from uh, various uh, group experiences, therapy experiences. And, and the essence of the Red Blue workshop is to put people into a, into a place where they listen to one another to, to understand each other beyond stereotypes uh, and then listen for common ground and to practice a degree of humility. So we in, in this workshop and our other workshops, we ask people to affirm what's great about their perspectives. And we also ask them to be self-critical about their perspectives and their team. And when people land both of those, particularly when they land the humility part, it just people it just open up. Uh, so that, that's the that's the key. And uh, for, for those of us, those who are listening here, a number of people have worked in this area. There's nothing brand new that we created. We, we just took stuff that's out there, added a little spice around this humility thing, and then brought it into the political scene. And the other thing I'll say, we have a whole series of workshops that are more skills-oriented workshops. Um, and, um, you know, what, what are the skills that are needed for contemporary society where we uh, we differ so much? And so um, a lot of standard communication skills that we've learned to help people come together and learn and practice. And and Bill, I just have to say that uh, given how deep that workshop goes, I appreciate how you explained that and how concise that was. So thank you, Bill. And well, you, 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 you demanded and, it. And, 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 and <laughs> I know it's very bridging of me. You know, I actually, it's, it's hypocritical the way that I show up to this work sometimes. So I want to, I want to now, I want to, I want to now let's just do a round Robin. You know, each of us adds unique value to this work. Um, what do each of us do? So maybe Luke, if you want to kick us off at the college debates program, and then let's just learn about how each of us adds value to this work. Go for it, Luke. Yeah. So the Bread Angels debates are uh, yet another way in which uh, we bring Americans of diverse backgrounds to sit around in a circle and talk about their feelings and uh, uh, learn about each other and appreciate each other in the process. So Bread Angels debates are like uh, what you might think of as a Socratic seminar chaired by parliamentary procedure. You have everybody in a room, everybody's sitting in a circle, seeing each other. Everybody is able to participate. There's one chairperson, um, and the chairperson uh, moderates the whole discussion. Uh, people stand and speak on either side of the resolution. People ask questions of clarification on that, and uh, they only address the chair. They're not allowed to address each other so that the conversation stays on topic rather than on uh, potential awkward accusational sort of things. And we found over the course of doing that, yes, in the college debates program, yes, in the alliances program, yes, in every uh, social circumstance that we've done it, that it is possible to debate any political issue, any principle, any policy, any subject 
And when you bring the right spirit of inquiry and uh, what we have often called a safe space for free speech, uh, everybody walks out of the room learning more about themselves, more about their opponents, and more about each other. And if you do it right, uh, you get to be flamboyant in floral oratory as well, which is a really sadly declined American tradition that we at Braver Angels uh, try to give all kinds of peacocky young people uh, opportunities to do, uh, and older folks as well. There's been even a couple members of Congress who told us that in VA debates, they've had the first chance to actually debate um, uh, in ways that they previously hadn't before. And that's something that I think we want to keep moving around as broadly as we can. Thanks, Luke. And and let me actually ask, let's just move up the flow a little bit, because I think people that are listening right now are curious, like y'all are doing these debates, y'all are doing these red-blue workshops. Let me just ask, maybe if David, if you want to jump in, or Donna, just what makes this so challenging? You know, like you've got you've got these debates happening where people are showing up with skepticism and and also at, by the end of the debate, they're coming out and they feel like they have had an experience that was profound. Um, how do you make that happen? What the big thing that is threatening our country right now is not even disagreeing on issues as much as disliking one another, you know? So it's it's not like, oh, Manu, I disagree with you about something. You're wrong. It's like, you're a, you yourself are a bad person. You're a threat. You believe in fantasies. Uh, you won't accept facts. You want to destroy America. Um, so that, um, that rancor, more than just disagreement about issues, is what threatens our American experiment today. This is a serious challenge for our survival as a country. And um, the way what we're trying to do is make it possible for there to be a kind of civic friendship that can withstand strong disagreements. Um, uh, some of it involves building trust. Some of it involves, as Bill mentioned, learning the relearning, really, ways of um, disagreeing accurately uh, rather than involving stereotypes. I think most of it involves building relationships, just normal human relationships um, that are from people different than you. So um, I look at the absolute essence of it as a kind of, um, John sometimes uses the term patriotic empathy. You could use a term like civic friendship that is strong enough to keep us together as a country, even when we really disagree. John, could you speak to that a little bit further? Could you speak to sort of the power of love that you often talk about that exists in these types of relationships is necessary? Yeah. So, yeah, well, let me do that in this way. At Braver Angels, you know, what we are is, you know, we're, we're we are a civic community that spans the nation and sort of a community of, of practice and in various parts of Brave Angels, just, you know, from our broader membership base, our local alliances, our, you know, campus-based work done with obviously Bridge USA and, and American Council for Trustees and Alumni and some of the work that we do in media, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there are different uh, techniques and, and, and sort of, you know, tools that we use to model patriotic empathy and how we engage with each other. Um, but sort of this idea of goodwill, I think, is a shared ethos that 
informs and infuses everything that we do. The workshops work not simply because they're well designed, not simply because Bill Doherty is, you know, practiced and studious and the debates program program works, you know, not just because, you know, April Lawson is, is brilliant and people like Luke do such a great job on the ground of seeing them through. They work because everything is rooted in this idea that our sole necessary starting point for engaging each other well uh, is holding a spirit of goodwill towards one another, meaning the best for each other as neighbors, as fellow Americans, and being willing to see the humanity in one another. Yeah. So I oftentimes contextualize our work in part in the philosophical context of sort of Kingian nonviolence, sort of, you know, this this philosophy that Dr. King had, which said that uh, agape love or goodwill is a spiritual force that can affect social transformation. And all that really means is that when you mean the best for somebody, it's possible to speak to their conscience and to open their ears and open their minds, you know, if you're willing to uh, to be reached uh, similarly, you know. And so there's an application for that in civic discourse, which expresses itself in dynamic ways uh, in the work of braver angels. And so that's how I would say sort of the spirit of our work relates to the method, relates to yeah. the method. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I want to, and Gabby, let me, let me jump to you. And then um, Donna, I want to ask you sort of a, a version of this question, but Gabby, a lot of people would say that that all sounds great, John, that's fantastic, but we've got real challenges out here. You know, there's real challenges out, out here and you're telling me to fix our relationships. That, that sounds kind of naive to me. How do you think about that? Especially given the amazing work that you're doing marketing Brave Angels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just on a personal level, like one way that I think about this through is like, especially in the past couple of years, I think, especially people on the left have talked about this idea of privilege. And so I think about it in terms of if I see myself as a person of privilege and I'm worried about the trajectory of our country, I'm thinking that things are going down a bad path, then isn't it on me more than anyone else to be trying to bridge that divide? Shouldn't I be the first to step up and say, let me try to reduce the amount of animosity in our country? Um, given, you know, coming from a place of privilege, coming from a place of, you know, I have the opportunity and the time and the resources to do so. Why would I, why would that not be the first thing? Because that's going to be the prerequisite to address all of those issues down the line. You know, so many of the people who are struggling with those issues don't have the capacity to have those conversations. So I really do think if you have that capacity, it's on all of us to do it. Um, and, and I know one of the things that is really valuable to Brave Angels as you think about that capacity is the volunteer culture. You know, the fact that you've developed this notion that, that folks can jump in. So Donna, I know you've helped pioneer a part of that. Can you speak a little bit to the volunteer culture that drives the movement forward? Absolutely. So uh, early on, we worked to create the skeleton upon which to hang the fabric of Braver Angels. And we did that with three types of volunteer positions. The organizers who are the soul of Braver Angels, they make things happen. The moderators who we train in order to run the workshops and other events. And then the state coordinators who coordinate all the the, the volunteers within a state. And I want to give a um, shout out to the first two coordinators in Florida, Paul Whitty, who's a blue, and Beth Head, who's a red. We've had, since then, we've had thousands of volunteers. Um, so what happened next was, uh, what do you do after you do a Braver Angels workshop? Well, you form an alliance. Uh, and uh, so we, that brings together Reds, Blues, and Independents locally. And we have now 94 alliances throughout the country that meet. Wow on a monthly basis that bring people together, right? And after that, well, 
let's do debates uh, like Luke was talking about. So there we needed debate chairs who, again, we train for free, uh, as well as whips who help uh, the participants and the chairs interact. And then along came COVID and we had to pivot and go online in a big way. Well, then we needed Zoom event managers to make that all happen. And we just kept getting richer and richer in terms of the uh, types of events that we offered. And I can't begin to name all the types of events and volunteers uh, that we have now organizing those events. We would be nothing without our volunteers. And we are entirely grateful to the volunteers uh, who help make Braver Angels work. And I can imagine that the value of those volunteers must be so transformative because this needs to be with people. And so that's the next question I want to get at. And I think to make this easier, what I'll do is the next question, let's hold for two specific folks and then feel free to have a conversation. Then we'll ask another question, which will be for the other uh, sort of four people. And so the the question that I have for, for Bill and um, maybe John is the red blue rule, um, you know, Bill, I know the workshops are driven by this concept. The logo is driven by this concept. The ethos of Braver is driven by this concept. Um, if either of you could maybe address and just have a conversation with me about why that rule is so important. Yeah, this was an early decision. <clears throat> and I think uh, David Blankenheim really was one of the people that drove this, um, that at every level of leadership from the the, the board, <clears throat> Brave Angels were a nonprofit to the leadership group to Donna mentioned uh, uh, um, alliance co-chairs, state uh, coordinators at every level of leadership <clears throat> were half red, half blue. David Blanken likes to say in terms of important decisions, we we, we don't have breakfast before it's a red blue. OK, <laughs> uh, and, um, and this is particularly important. Because uh, a lot of the work uh, in the uh, in the intergroup relations area, conflict management, the world of family therapy that I come from, um, blues tend to gravitate more to those areas, uh, and the the literature, <clears throat> the language, um, uh, tends to be out of a blue sensibility. Just not 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 for any not a fault of anybody, but it's just that that's where that comes from. And so, if we had it did not have. Uh, this red-blue balance in terms of our, our thinking, our decision-making, uh, we, we would have probably drifted um, and not 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 been um, as useful to the country. So it's it's absolutely crucial, uh, and is and we 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 try to we try to hold to it. And and maybe an evolution of this, and maybe John, if you could speak to this a little bit, is some folks might say red blue feels too simple. It feels like that binary is maybe not the best binary to create. How do you respond to that? Yeah, so you know, there's certainly a tension here. Um, you know, on the one hand, the red blue rule is very important. The reason it's important, in my mind, is because we do live in a society that is essentially sort of split down the middle between two very broad competing both institutional and narrative sort of hemispheres of our political life. Now, the truth is, is that, you know, even those two sides have many sides within them. It's not an adequate way of understanding American divisions in American political society, but it is sort of where you have to start sort of, you know, the dividing lines between progressives and, and, and conservatives. Um, but on the other hand, what's interesting about Brave Angels, of course, is that in recognizing the fact that those divisions do not define us as Americans, and that by idolizing them, we sort of limit the potential of our politics and our ability to relate to each other, 
many people come to us specifically because they're sick of kind of that two, two, um, you know, that binary paradigm. And so they come to us wanting, you know, maybe they are Democrats and Republicans, but they're kind of sick of the status quo, or maybe they're actually independents or people with third parties. Many people come to us because they want to sort of get beyond that in some form or fashion. And so we're kind of a natural home for people who consider themselves misfits in that equation. And so it's very- Do you find most Americans to feel like they're misfits? Well, I think most how do, how do we think about do that? feel like they're misfits in some in some sense. And, and you know, there's, there's polling to, to show this. I mean, if you take sort of, you know, the eight key characteristics of your stereotypical, you know, conservative Republican or liberal Democrat, something like between eight to 13 percent of people on either side actually fit that. You know, but I just want to make the point that Brave Rangers is a home for for purples. It is a home for independents. It is a home for people who are not partisan Democrats or Republicans. But we're also all united in wanting to sort of sort of mitigate the harm done by the uh by by that by the extreme extreme manifestation of that binary. So I think that's that that's the you know that's the hair I'd want to split for you. And and to everybody that's that's currently joining, please remember that we're gonna ask questions in about 20 minutes. So please, please, please ask your questions to this amazing organization because it's very rare to have everybody at one time. So thank you all again for your time. So Gabby and David, let me ask you this. You know, John and Bill elevated this notion of Bring folks together on this red blue axis, but that must put you in the in this in the crosshairs of culture issues and culture war issues. You must oftentimes feel the heat, feel the critique. How do you sort of persevere past that? What are you hearing out there? And importantly, as Braver has grown, it seems like y'all are getting past some of that critique. Um, what what keeps you going? Yeah, well, Manu, you asked us earlier about what are the challenges of you know this work, and that's certainly one of them. Um, and I think the way that I think about it is. You know, we're not just trying to get people to do something. We're also trying to remove the barriers in their way, you know, that are preventing them from doing that. So maybe it's a fear of looking stupid. Maybe it's a fear of looking like they're a bad person or, you know, we have to try to remove those barriers for people. And and I think that's actually what we do as an organization. I was speaking to a volunteer recently and he said, Braver Angels gave me cover, cover and permission to have these conversations because it doesn't always feel easy. It's going to be really intimidating, actually. Um, and so I think just their, the very existence, the fact that we have spaces like the, the debates that you know Luke moderates gives people permission to say, oh, I can have these conversations. It can be uncomfortable and I can be better for having them. I'm just inspired by just talking to the people who are involved. You know, um, uh, if you just listen to the news and you think that's America, you think that's our discussion, you know, you just want to put a bullet in your brain, right? It's just just one horrible moment after another. But if you get out and talk to people, just people who are citizens, there's a heart sickness about what, where we are in our political life and a desire to do something positive, good people. And I, so it's not, like it is on the news. If you go out and talk to people like Donna Murphy did, and we're all we all do in our work, that's what heartens me. And I'll also say another thing, just speaking personally, um, Vaclav Havel once said there was a difference between optimism and hope. He said, optimism is believing that things will work out well. Hope is believing that certain things need to be done regardless of how they work out. And um, so um, uh, hope is where we are. We're not betting on the, we're not trying to read the tea leaves. We're not trying to predict a wonderful outcome in things. We're just saying that we see something that must be done. And that's the 
spiritual nourishment, I think, that keeps us going. Speaking of hope, let me just ask maybe Donna or Luke, um, how do you find hope in this work? Are there certain examples or moments that you felt in your, I'm sure there's many, I'm sure there's many, but uh, certain examples that stick out to you where you say, that gave me hope. And that helps me see an American future that's better than today. Maybe Donna, if you want to take it, and then Luke. I was going to give it to Luke. <laughs> Y'all are too kind. Y'all are too kind. Donna, Donna go for after it. you. Yeah, Donna. Yeah, and then. Okay, well, um, uh, I find hope uh, because I, I have to have hope, right? The way things are going. Um, I couldn't live without hope. And so I do this work because it gives me hope. Um, it, it, it allows me to, for example, when these cultural issues, we go right straight for them. We do. That's um, right. So, for example, um, we created a common ground workshop where we bring together um, half people who have one view of an issue and half on the other side. Uh, and the first issue we took was abortion, right? And so we had, a, and the purpose of this workshop is to come up with things that people can agree on. Everybody had to agree there about abortion. And they came up with 20 points of agreement on that. Okay. Wow. I, I'm leader of uh, a leader of the Braver Angels Film Club, and uh, this, our our movie this month we're going to discuss is on uh, transgenderism, and we're going to have two transgender individuals um, appearing. So we go for the controversy, but we do it in the Braver Angels way. Um, we all we apply all the world the rules that you learned in kindergarten, and we keep we keep the guardrails on, thanks in part to Bill Doherty's. Um, well-designed uh, workshops and, and uh, events. It works. It really does work. If you, if you try it, you'll like it. Amano, can I add something please, here? Um, please, please. Um, it just um, at the, at the, the level of, um, you know, inspiration and hope. Um, I'd like to quote from an email that, uh, that I, I got today. Um, that was from, uh, it was sent to uh, our New Hampshire Brave Rangers leaders by a senior member of the legislature who went through uh, our red uh, the legislative version of our red blue workshop? So this is the kind of thing that uh, that keeps hope alive. <clears throat> she wants to do another one. She signed up for another one. <clears throat> the question was, what's your motivation to do another workshop? And this is the quote: <clears throat> Get to know one another person in the in in the uh, get to know a person in the other party. The first time, the first workshop, the Republican rep and I came to understand each other and our histories. It helps to get to know them and know their history. Instead of putting up our guard, we got to know one another, not as a partisan. I no longer shut off his points in my head. I don't hear them only as partisan points. It's all about building relationships. For me, the positive benefits have not diminished over time. Just the fact that the Republicans want to participate means there are long-lasting effects. Great. That's, that's powerful, Bill. You know, I, I see you, Luke, and I've got a question saved for you in the Q&A. Um, and so let me, if you don't mind, I'm just going to quickly just take a step. And I want to just dig into what Bill's saying. And let's just have an open discussion. we got 15 minutes left. I feel this conversation getting to a crescendo, and I know people are loving this part of this dialogue, which is the things that are giving you hope to keep going, because I think that that's what we all need. So let's just have, if anybody wants to jump in, was there a specific moment in your journey where you felt like this inspired me or motivated me? Go ahead, Luke, if you've got, if you've got something on that. 
Uh, I think back a lot to the tests that Braver Angels passed in the long year 2020 and the first months of 2021, when we were being asked by a lot of our own friends who we love and work with to draw a couple hard political lines on no fewer than a half dozen of the major national controversies that were tearing the country apart and tearing us apart at that time. And on every single one of those questions, we did not draw a line. We did not exclude people on the basis of their opinions. And we did not cut off conversation on uh, on those issues on the basis of whether or not people were a danger to the country because we practice every day what we preach here. And that gives me hope all the time because that was not something that only happened in 2020. That's the way in general uh, in our everyday operations as an organization, uh, we move forward all the time. And it gives me great hope because uh, under those great pressure tests, I believe we can withstand anything holding true to the spirit of bringing everybody in uh, that we always have in the past. So that gives me hope. It's something in the past, but it's something in the future too. We lost members uh, in early 2021, which Luke is referring to. Because we, there was a big push to say uh, that uh, people who believed that Trump was legitimately won the election, people who believed there was a fraud, that those people were uh, conspiracy thinkers. They wouldn't accept facts. They were danger to the country. They believed in something called the big lie, and they should not be uh, platformed. They should not be reached out to, they should, these are bad people. And we uh, took the opposite point of view and uh, took a lot of criticism from it. A lot of, some people resigned from the organization and so forth. But what made me proud was we, we stuck with our, our principle, which is uh, with the way we sometimes say it is, um, we all have blind spots and no one is not worth talking to, no one, even if they're crazy, even if they're so dumb you can't even imagine how they can walk uh, and chew gum at the same time. Even people that bad are welcome to be a part of this conversation. So um, I was really proud that we were able to do that. And I think we came out stronger. And uh, I think it made us a better thing, a better a better movement that we were able to have a principle like that. And as Luke mentioned, other things have come along. And I think it's a, I think it's been a value for us. David, I wonder if I could just say, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to know where this came down to. It came down to a debate topic. And so it isn't just we weren't saying we wouldn't talk to people. We, 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 it, if you could say that. Yeah, there was a, um, uh, a proposal to have a, a debate on the issue of the 2020 election. And um, a lot of people felt that that was a, we shouldn't do it, that to have that discussion was, was an act of harm to the principle of truthfulness and uh, what's good for the country. And we, we wrestled with it a lot. Um, we decided to have the debate. Uh, it went well on our podcast. We had several Braver Angels members who passionately argued um, against having the debate. So we had our discussion uh, publicly uh, in the way that we like to do. 
But yeah, it was over. Um, it was over the issue of the election, and um, uh, should and, and you came out should this that. should this issue be debated? Right, that's really what it came down to, as opposed to trying to, um, I guess, shame or silence or just denigrate a group of Americans as somehow, you know, out beyond the pale. Well, again, to, to, to continue just a little bit, because I think it's it's useful here for providing a window uh, into sort of who we are and what we've been through together. So we had um, made the very controversial decision to hold a public debate, a Brave Rangers debate on voter fraud and voter suppression, for that matter. Um, That's and a good point. It was both, John. It was both. Right, right. Um and making and, and allowing for people to argue that the 2020 election had been stolen. And so I announced that in a newsletter, which received just an avalanche of anger and uh, even contemptuous resignations, people who were renouncing their memberships. And as David said, um, you know, this went all the way up to the leadership level. We had um, one of our dear colleagues who I don't mind naming, he's not with us uh, anymore, but Silas Cole Carney, um, who's a sort of veteran of the debates team, brilliant uh, teacher, social justice activist. He felt that this wasn't an issue we should even be debating. Um, and yet at the debate itself, he participated in the debate, arguing not just that the 2020 election was not stolen, but that we should not be having the debate. But that was his debate position, right? So we not only allowed for people to argue that the election was stolen, we also allowed people to argue that we should not be arguing. About you had a debate about the debate. <laughs> exactly. We allowed that's, people that's to meta. About the debate. But, you know, uh, opposite Silas in that debate was a fellow named David Iwinski, the late, uh, the late great David Iwinski, for those of us who knew him. And uh, David is uh, also a... Um, also, uh, I think a trained uh, attorney and international businessman, strong uh, supporter of of uh, President Trump, very much a conservative. Um, and David and Silas um, were best of friends on the debate team. They met each other through Braver Angels. Their politics were the most opposite of just about anybody in leadership. And they were the two individuals who became closest as as friends over the course of their time working together. And David, you know, he passed, um, I'm not sure how long ago now folks will remind me, but this was, I guess, you know, several, several months or maybe more than a year ago now. And um, when he died, um, uh, it was Silas who wrote the uh, the newsletter um, eulogizing David Owinsky for our members, a man he had nothing in common with politically, a man whose views he actually literally considered to be threatening to the well-being of himself, of other people of color, and to American democracy. And yet, he also saw that David Iwinski was far more than just his political positions. They had a deep human bond and a deep human friendship, which helped inspire all of us and which allowed us to honor David Iwinski in, in his death and in a very powerful way. And so, you know, that's that's who we are, you know, as, as braver angels. We we see deeper than than the opinions that divide us. And actually, you know, we take those differences and I think we use them as windows into the human soul. And I think we sort of see ourselves staring back at each other. Yeah. And just very quickly, I, I just want to add to that story, very moving story. We followed up now. We're having uh, what we call common ground meetings across the country now 
where um, uh, both progressives and conservatives are meeting in equal numbers to see if there can which come reach common ground on ways to improve the trustworthiness of our election system. So we have really leaned into this issue in a way that's bringing together hundreds and hundreds of people on both on sort of both sides of this election integrity issue to try to find common ground. And of all the things we do, it's one of the things I'm most proud of because this is not an easy thing to pull off. And yet the rewards have been remarkable. And I, I still choke up when I think of David Iwinski and what he did to make that possible. Yeah. You know, I just, I just, I think oftentimes in these types of conversations, it's easy to keep going. You know, I've got an ear thing going on where people are, are, are talking about what needs to be said, but I think importantly, it's important to just take a moment and reflect on the power of, of a story like that. And for anybody that's just joining, we're talking and hearing about two folks that deeply disagreed in the question of January 6th and voter fraud in the election. And importantly, uh, one of them passed away and the other one eulogized them with deep love and respect. Um, just in the interest of time, maybe if Gabby, uh, Luke, and Donna, in, in that order, if you just want to speak a little bit to that question of hope and, and for you, what has personally kept you going in, in this important journey that so many other amazing organizations are pursuing? Hmm. I was in a conversation and now I'm thinking I have to update what I say because I was talking to someone just casually and I was saying, um, you know, yeah, through Braver Angels, I've just learned that you can talk to someone that you completely disagree with and come out feeling more optimistic about the world. Maybe I should say hopeful now, um, given the distinguishment, but, but just, and the guy stopped me and was like, what? You can talk to someone you disagree with and feel better and like feel lighter. And ha like, sometimes I'll, I, I would do these field stories and I would have to, I would talk to these two people who disagreed and I'd have to get up after the story and walk around my room and start pacing like <laughs> very aggressively. Cause I just had all this energy and excitement. Like how cool is it to see two people like that who disagree and have this friendship? And there's so many of these friendships around Brave Angels. So um, I think Donna said it earlier, but just uh, talking to the people, you know, talking to the people on the ground, it, there's nothing that will get you more hopeful than that. Luke, maybe if you want to jump in. I already said what makes me hopeful. Um, it's, uh, Feel free to it's add to the conversation, brother. Uh, there's a lot of deep. things. There's a lot of things that uh, happen at the debates and in the work that the alliances, I've worked with the DC Alliance pretty frequently, um, happen and people come up to us after some of these and say, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know that it was possible to talk in this way. And um, and whenever that happens, uh, it's just a reminder to me that there's a torch that all of us are holding here. It's a beacon that storms are always swirling around us, and uh, it's a good thing to hold on to. Donna, At the end of our very know? first uh, debate, and then I let uh, workshop, and then I know Donna has some to say. We, we, somebody said, "Oh, this has been the most amazing weekend." You know, this is transformative, and. To meet you people and, you know, like I'm full of emotion and said, but now we have to go back to the real world. And mm -hmm. David Lapp said, what if this is the real world? Mm -hmm. <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry, Donna. <laughs> so I'm director of the one-to-one -one conversations. And so we bring together two people who are different from each other for structured conversations. Uh, these include uh, uh, one person who's red, one person who's blue, someone who's from a rural or small town area, someone who is from a uh, urban or suburban area, uh, a young person and an old person. Um, conversation across race, ethnicity, or culture, and our newest conversation, which I drafted, not Bill, for the first time, <laughs> is about the golden rule. And we pair people across differences, but it's a, because we're so mean-spirited in this country these days, it's time to revive and remind people about the golden rule. Anyway, so when I want to feel hopeful, all I have to do is open up the spreadsheet where we've asked people to tell us about their experience. and. I started to, well, while you were asking about hope, I started just to look for the word hope in people's responses. And time after time, people say this, talking to someone um, like this gives me hope, found out we had a lot more in common than we thought. So I like to say about these one-to-one -one conversations that uh, a, a one conversation between two people is a brick, but thousands of conversations between all these people is a mighty bridge. And aren't we all about bridging divides? Hey, Donna, if somebody wants to do this, what would they do? Oh, my goodness. All they need to go is to uh, braverangels.org. You go to um, what we do, right? And there's all sorts of things we do. There's a long drop-down list. But you go to one-to-one -to -one conversations. Click on that, and you'll be able They're to great. them and sign up. They're terrific. Manu, before we move on, I want to say one more thing about hope. I want to speak as an academic now. Okay, so we, we've been gushing here uh, about the, the personal story. Well, Bill, actually, let me just give you the last word because we, as an oh. organization that loves to talk about talk to people, we've done the unthinkable and come two two minutes under. Yeah, so, so why don't, why don't I'm, you close I'm always happy to get the last word. Nobody follow. Yeah. <laughs> um, terrible, terrible, <laughs> Manu. Bad chair. Yeah, no, just uh, thank you, Manu. We, we, we get along well. Um, <laughs> So I'm a professor, part of my, my day job, uh, and we've been able to attract um, really a, a, a well-established political scientists who are interested in studying polarization. Uh, and so um, they've, they've been studying our workshops and uh, with randomized controlled trials, designs, the state-of-the-art research, control groups, following people over time. So we have reason to believe now that these workshops do depolarize people and that it lasts up to six months. I mean, not, nothing that's when the study would end. Uh, and nothing, no one thing lasts forever. But it isn't just feel good stories. And just this morning, another sign of hope. I just got the most, the latest paper from uh, two uh, eminent political scientists who have studied our workshop called Depolarizing Within. And it's the first time anybody has ever studied uh, the depolarizing effects of, of, of a workshop that is about how do we depolarize ourselves internally and in our own group. Our own political group, how do we intervene when people go into stereotype and demonizing? And they found that really very positive effects of that. So in addition to the personal level, uh, we, we have been fortunate enough to attract, you know, hard-nosed social scientists who are asking the hard questions, using the standard instruments, having control groups. And so far, it's, it's looking pretty good. Well, Bill, somehow we're still 30 seconds under. Oh, well, and then I grew up in Philadelphia. <laughs> I, I, just, just, for, just for everybody's reference, again, I think what's fascinating about this conversation, you know, you've got an organization called Village Square with me hosting from an organization called Bridge USA, hosting a conversation with an organization called Braver Angels with other amazing organizations in the space. I mean, 
the hopeful part is just the inspiring folks that are all friendships and relationships. So thank you, Bill. And thank you, everybody, for all you do. Let's get to some questions from 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 folks that have listened in, because I think most importantly, we're here for them. Um, and so the first question we have, and just obviously, because we all can't answer, I'll just direct it and 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 make sure we get through as many as we possibly can. Um, the first question we have is actually from Kami Akavan, uh, who is a director of uh, USC Center at Political Future and another amazing leader in the space. And he's got a question directly for you, Luke. Um, what do you say to people who say debate is polarizing, it creates winners and losers, and is dangerously inferior to conversation? I would say that uh, America is a debate. You can't get around it. And if you don't have good debate, you will have bad debate. There are things that you can do. There are styles you can do. There are rules you can hold yourself to that don't create winners and losers, that don't polarize, or when they do polarize, polarize towards productive polarization, not unproductive polarization. And that is a style of debate that maybe is inferior to a conversation one-on-one, -on -one, but in the field of the public square is the best possible, highest possible version of public discourse that this country has ever had, and we can go back to it. And that's what we try to hold ourselves to in this form of debate. America's a debate. Thank you, Luke. The next. Oh, and uh, fight on, Tommy. <laughs> he had to get the USC thing. It's because he knows I went to Cal. Um, David, I saw. I saw. Did you want to add something, David? I was just I cheering. I was just cheering what Luke said. Um, hopefully not the fight on piece. Um, so a uh, next question. I know we haven't heard from you, Gabby, in a little bit, and then we'll go to John with the question after that. Gabby, uh, just from your perspective, what can you know, single individuals like us just do to reach across uh, to people that we do not understand or that we fear? How do we get across to those folks? I mean, I think it, I think Brave Angels is honestly not to be too, not to sell them too hard, but Brave Angels is an amazing space to do that because it's all about listening, right? I think really listening to people is is really the first step and, and trying to, um, I think this is Bill's practice, um, listen not to persuade or change their mind, but really listen to understand where they're coming from. Um, for me personally, that's completely changed the way that I've navigated political conversations. I no longer felt like, oh, I need to change their mind on this or that. I just felt like, Okay, I'm just here to understand them. And 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 one thing I tell myself when I hear something that I don't necessarily like, I just tell myself, that's data. That's data. And someone in this country feels that way. And that is just good to know that someone, in, and now I'm more informed for it. So that's how I personally approach it. Well, thank you, Gabby. The the next question um, I've gotten, again, the reason I'm trying to get through this quickly is because there's so many. Uh, and I think that speaks to the resonance of this work. So uh, John, you know, there's lots of other amazing organizations also doing this work, and we're just one of many organizations. Um, how do you think Braver Angels helps uplift organizations? How do you think can support other organizations doing this work? And importantly, folks that are just starting out that are that are interested in their communities to get involved. Well, you know, I think that the way Braver Angels is structured, and of, of course, you know, the the limbs of Braver Angels are still growing to say nothing of the trunk of the tree of course but i think that the way braver angels is structured um there's sort of a wide there's sort of a wide range of, of ways in which we're able to sort of plug in to collaborations that take place in communities um work with people in sort of the digital and media spheres and so you know you look at our you look at the way everything is laid out we have folks of course in college campuses obviously our work with bridge speaks for itself but in local communities our alliances are building relationships in some cases with issue advocacy organizations i've been very 
successful relationship between the Austin Braver Angels Alliance and Citizens Climate Lobby, for example, innovating distinct programs to help foster conversations around climate change. Um, Braver Angels um, in the domain of, well, you know, take, for instance, Braver Politics, our program that allows us to bring together uh, elected officials, candidates to better communicate with their constituencies, and that inevitably brings them into contact with um, local, not just politicians, but organizations and community stakeholders that want to see a better culture of campaigning uh, in their local communities. Everything we do winds up intersecting with one part of American civil society or the other. And um, so it's really just a question of sort of building out that larger that larger infrastructure, that larger community, and plugging in the pieces wherever they may find each other. So I expect that our culture of collaboration will, will continue to accelerate. And, and, um, and as a matter of fact, we're making real strides in that direction through something called Braver Network, which is uh, an assemblage of civil society organizations that we are consolidating for the purposes of advancing this larger um movement of of civic renewal and, and bridge building in a way that brings in union chapters, activist groups, ministries, uh, groups, including, but also going beyond um, folks in the bridge building space who are doing excellent work. And so um, that coalition continues to diversify, become stronger. And I look forward to seeing all the ways in which our pieces can sort of plug together to, to make this movement as powerful as it can be. Yeah, because it's gonna it's gonna take all of us um, collectively as many organizations coming together. So thank thank you, John. Um, I'm gonna try to do the unthinkable and get a question for everybody. So Donna, um, uh, question we have for you, just based on the the topics and conversations you've covered, are about um, not divisive factors because it seems like everybody talks about division these days. But in your workshops, what have you seen as some of the unifiers that? actually are bringing people together? Are there are there things that you're seeing that actually are not divisive? Um, yeah, well, when people start talking to each other, they find that they have so much more in common than they thought. They find, they see the humanity in each other. And that's why we like to say that we bring people together, not to get them to change their minds about the issue, but to change their minds about each other. And we see it time and again um, in, in our workshops, in our debates, uh, Debate. The best way to end a debate, um, at least when we when we do them uh, in person, is to after the debate go out and have a, a beer together. Um, it, you know, you you start these relationships. Um, I love it when people tell me after they've done a one to one that they're continuing to talk to each other, and they have an ongoing relationship. So it it gives me enormous hope and it's so needed. Um, what you you do with Bridge, what Village. Square does as an antidote to the divisiveness that we that unfortunately is financially incentivized um, on the, our media platforms and on social media. That's where the money is to, to keep us divided. So what we all do in this bridging movement is to reunite Americans and have get them to see the good in each other. And I know some of the Americans that have been doing this amazing work will bring on screen shortly. Uh, uh, a couple of other questions I have, David, I've seen you wanting to jump in on a few of these. So a question that I just have for you is, is about leaders. We've talked a lot about us as individuals, but there's a question of politicians out there in DC. And the question very simply put is what can we do to help politicians be less negative or what can they be doing to operate in what some would say is a less toxic manner? Well, 
ultimately, the changes that we need as a society will have to be registered in institutional change. We can't simply be citizen-to-citizen relationships. We have to change institutions. And um, that's easier said than done. But we and other groups are making progress in going to our elected officials and and um, taking our message and our demand to them. Um, Bill mentioned a couple of state houses where they've actually changed some of their practices uh, in response to interacting with um, with citizens. So, um, I I think politicians will not lead this change. They will respond to changes in society. And it's up to us as citizens to cause those changes that w- to which they will respond. So just, just building off of that, um, uh, are you trying to get members of Congress to join Braver Angels? Uh, Bill, do you, do you think about ever leaders or maybe David, anybody that wants to jump in on that? Because I think that's a big question. Bill's done work with the members of Congress. Yeah, so we, we've uh, done some work with the um, Problem Solvers Caucus uh, and with the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, um, um, where we've done both testifying, but also some workshops uh, where we do a modified version of a red-blue with, with uh, members of Congress. Um, which, and with uh, their staffs as well. And with their staffs. We've done things with staffs. Uh, we've done a workshop, a couple of workshops for um, uh, interns and, sta- and, and staff assistants who have to answer the phone. Um, <laughs> you know, these are like the front lines. Um, so, yes. And, and um, particularly the Problem Solvers Caucus. And if people don't know about that, uh, Google Problem Solvers Caucus in Congress, because these are 30 Republicans, 30 Democrats really trying to work in a bipartisan way. Um, and in fact, um, at our convention coming up, uh, up at, uh, July 5th through the 8th or 9th, um, we're going to have um, a couple of members of Congress, um, uh, one of whom is confirmed, and he's also recruiting um, uh, another member of Congress for a conversation. Um, and so I- increasingly, we're finding some uh, some openness there as well as, as state and local. Governor uh, Spencer Cox of Utah will come address the the Congress, uh, the con- convention. Sorry, one day uh, it might become the Congress. You never know. <laughs> on uh, on what he calls better conflict, and he actually has developed a toolkit for gubernatorial candidates around the country to just run their campaigns in better ways. And um, so he has some ideas. He's going to present them to the convention. And Manu, can I disagree with my colleague David Blankenhorn in one way, not about the very brave angels of you. But having worked with with elected officials at various levels, I I think there is an interest among some of them now to make the changes because they are unhappy. It, It is miserable for many of these elected officials, this politicized hyper-partisan environment. Yeah, that's a good point, Bill. I was yeah. being too glib. There, yeah, yeah. Are, there are people, you're right, there are people out there that want to be real public servants. There are. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so I want to I want to just give one little story before we, we move on. Please. After we did a, a Red Blue where people with members of, of the Problem Solvers Caucus, where they, they answer the question, what life experiences have influenced your values and beliefs about public policy, 
uh, and, and public service, your life experiences that have formed your approach to public policy and public service. Um, uh, there was there was a, a guy there, a Republican, who introduced himself saying, I'm as conservative as the day is long. After they told their stories, there was hardly a dry eye in the room as people really talked passionately about their family experiences, positive or negative. And then he said at the end, uh, when we asked people what they're taking with them from this experience, he said, I'm taking with them with me this this idea that you can't fight somebody in the same way when you know their heart. You can't fight somebody in the same way when you know their heart. And that's the summary, I think, of, of a lot of what we've been talking about here. Well, and I think I think importantly, um, I know we've got a minute left, but I think I think that's a great place to actually wrap this portion, because I think that it speaks to the heart of the work that you're doing and importantly to the heart of the work that a lot of other folks here are doing. Um, before we fully close, and there's a couple of things we want to do in the closing, um, I just want to say, you know, as a younger person doing this work, just the example and the inspiration that I felt from you all, from Liz, from um, the amazing leaders that we'll see shortly on this call, from the broader organizational field and matrix, you know, we're on the same team. And we all got a huge problem to address and tackle. And importantly, we have to do it now and urgently. And you're you're doing an amazing job doing that. And so I'm grateful to be here. And I don't take it for granted that I have the opportunity for an hour and 30 minutes to ask you questions that I know a lot of folks are interested in. And just shifting gears a little bit to articulate the fact that we're building this movement, that we've got some amazing special introductions, some amazing historic leaders um, heroic leaders, just like Braver Angels, who are going on to help Americans across the country. And as um, we sort of see them come on screen, I know that um, I want to give them all, all a chance to both introduce and talk about um, just briefly what they're doing, but importantly, just to elevate the fact that I think there's this movement building. And Donna, as you're saying, um, we know that Americans are craving this. There's that space that's going to open up and Bridge is doing everything we can on college campuses and high schools. And I know that you all are doing amazing work in, in other communities. I see two of those amazing leaders on, uh, and we've got three for Bruce, Cheryl, Kami, Brandon. Um, thank you so much for, for being here, Kimberly. Nice to meet you. Um, maybe Bruce, if you want to just quickly uh, introduce yourself. You bet. Uh, great to see you all. Terrific program. Thanks, Liz, to, for putting it all together. You guys are heroes out there. We so appreciate it. Uh, I am Bruce Bond. I'm a co-founder of Common Ground Committee. Uh, we're working on the polarization problem. We have uh, three primary uh, programming elements. We have these wonderful events that we do with people of note, people like John Kerry and Condi Rice, uh, who talk about uh, issues of the day uh, where the idea is to find common ground and find points where we can make progress as opposed to uh, debate in the classic way, so to speak. Uh, very, very effective. Uh, we also have uh, a very successful podcast series, and a, we also have this thing called the Common Ground Scorecard. And as you guys were talking about Congress, my uh, ears perked up. Um, it is a way, uh, using that scorecard is a way to send a message to Congress people that you appreciate it when they are bipartisan in the way that they operate. It's a voter's tool. You can find it on our website. Um, if you use it and you let them know you're using it, it makes a difference. I will tell you that we have congressmen now calling us saying, how do I get my score higher? And that's exactly what we want. So we're making some progress on that, on that end. And we know that, you know, those of you who participated in that uh, program with, uh, from Braver Angels that, uh, participated with, uh, 
Congress, we know that there was some influence there and we appreciate that. Thank, thank you so much, Bruce. And I, I have to say, I could give a story about every single leader that is now joining, but in the interest of time, I just want to say that Condi Rice and John Kerry event, it really kickstarted our organization. So I'm deeply grateful mm-hmm. for the work that you do, Bruce. Um, Cheryl? Hi, thank you. My heart is just so full with this awesome, awesome energy and group. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Cheryl Gravy with the National Institute for Civil Discourse. Uh, we were established 12 years ago uh, at the University of Arizona and founded by board members, President Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, Tom Daschle, and Sandra Day O'Connor. And our mission dance is really next to many of the groups, uh, Braver Angels especially, in that our mission is to build the nation's capacity to engage our differences more constructively. And one of our programs is called Common Sense American. It's our flagship program. And there we have over 50,000 everyday Americans who are 25% Republican, 25% Democrat, about 45% independent. And they and they're the power of the American voice of everyday people, just like you were talking about the founding of Braver Angels by Americans, everyday Americans, they are three for three in identifying solutions wise enough to attract bipartisan grassroots support and championing them into law in Congress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we are so proud of that group and their energy. And I just thank you (laughs) for being here today. Thank you, Cheryl. I almost feel like I'm accepting all of the thanks to Braver Angels on their behalf. So, yeah. so, so thank you, Cheryl, um, thank for, you, for all the work that you do. Um, and by the way, I should ask as we wrap up this portion, if anybody has one question that they would like to ask the Braver Angels team, we will close out with that question. So just in case anybody, any of the field leaders have a question, please feel free to ask. Brandon, you're, you're next on the screen. Awesome. Thanks, Manu. Um, what an amazing program. Great to be here with such amazing leaders. My name is Brandon Keating. I'm the CEO of Unify, which is spelled funny. It's Y-O-U-N-I-F-Y. Our North Star is individual and community thriving. And in service of that, we work like everybody on this screen to reduce polarization and cultural divisions of all kinds in order to accelerate progress on key challenges of our time. So we do work on coming to solutions um, and advancing those solutions using a community organizing and behavioral science-based model to help when those wedge issues come up that can stop the conversation or turn it into a fight, um, people to really connect in practical ways on shared values and move to a next step. Um, So just delighted to be here with everyone. And um, thanks so much, uh, Liz, for putting our website in the chat um, where we provide training to both individuals and organizations um, across the country and delighted to connect with anyone who wants to learn more. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you so much. Um, Kim? Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks to Liz and the Village Square. We've been partners with uh, the Village Square for um, many years. I am the director of content for WFSU Public Media. So we are the media organization, I guess, represented in this this grouping. Uh, We are a NPR and PBS uh, licensed station, member station. And we are 
uh, licensed through Florida State University. So, you know, these are very challenging times for media right now. And I can't say that we have not felt the impact of the polarization that's going on in our country and in our community. I mean, I think that's what's so important about the work that we do at WFSU is that we are local to the community. We are so close to our members. We are close to the community. We, one of the reasons we chose to partner with the Village Square was to bring in their programming and bring it to audiences in a different way than maybe uh, they were reaching on their own. Uh, one of the things that we do with them is host a uh, every year, a town hall with all of our elected officials. Um, we open our studios up to a lot of groups in the community for that purpose, to be able to give people a chance to have a voice um, to reach audiences that they may not be reaching. And for us to be mindful of the audiences we are also engaging with, it's, it's easy for us to get isolated as well. So, I really appreciate conversations like tonight, learning about what organizations are doing, how we in public media can put um, put a spotlight and put a microphone to some of those ideas to help get them out to a wider audience. So thanks for having me tonight. Well, th thank you, Kim, for being here. Thank you for all your work. And last but not least, um, uh, he's already been named as a USC alum, which is deeply unfortunate but it's all right. Uh, Kami, would you like to maybe wrap up on your intro? And and as as really quickly as Kami goes, one question, if any of the field leaders have, please feel free to directly message me. I can ask the team. Otherwise, I have a question. Go for it, Kami. Uh, thanks, Manu. So I'm actually a UCLA alum, but I work at USC, so I'm already bridging. So I'm, I'm walking the walk. Uh, <laughs> the USC Center for the Political Future has existed for roughly six years. And it's unique in the sense that it's two directors or political opponents for decades. There's a legendary Democratic strategist named Bob Schrum, who worked with eight different presidential campaigns. He's the one that told Al Gore, hey, Al, I think we won this. Mm. His co-director is a guy named Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy has also been involved in numerous presidential campaigns, uh, John McCain's and Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney and and these two people are not enemies. They are opponents and they're friends. And they model the sort of civil discourse and the bridging that we want to see in the world. What we do at this university is combine uh, intellectual inquiry, teaching, practical politics to advance civil dialogue and research that transcends partisan divisions and finds solutions to pressing national and global issues. Uh, I think a lot about this quote by one of my favorite writers, Albert Camus, who says, the biggest gift we can give to the future is to give all we have to the present. And all of us on this screen, and I'm honored to share the screen with so many of my friends and heroes, David Blankenhorn, you don't know how many times I reference your written materials. I'm a super fan. Uh, but I feel like we are, we're giving everything that we have uh, to the present so that we can live in a type of politics where when one side loses, they don't burn down the stadium. They come back to play again. Uh, so for those of you who want to learn more about the USC Center for Political Future, know our events are very public. I'd encourage you to visit the website. Thanks for posting it here and sign up for the newsletter. We do about 80 events annually. We're very open to partnership, uh, very much in the spirit of the ethos that Braver Angels and our organizations are promoting. Uh, and it's, it's really an honor to, 
to be able to share these bridging messages at a time when our, our nation really needs it. Even for those of us who were born here and those of us who weren't, it's our country and we just want it to be better. Tommy, deep gratitude to you and everybody that is that is here. I just I, I want to just, you know, forego the formalities and just take a moment to just thank everybody. Uh, David, question that I think a lot of us might have uh, for the organization, but for all of us is just for you, what has been the most surprising thing on this journey for when you started, when a lot of us got involved to where we are now? What has been the most surprising thing to you? The, the response, because I've spent so much of my life advocating for lost causes, dying breeds, things that didn't people didn't really care about, you know. But the, from the moment we started this thing, Bill, um, it was the reaction from people was strong. And it was like we were kind of standing on a corner and the wind started blowing. It wasn't like we, you know, that was the most surprising thing to me was that once we started just doing a little something, people reacted powerfully. And it wasn't because anything we were doing, I don't think. It was because of the hunger in the country. And that, that's been the single most, not only, I guess, surprising, but the most rewarding thing for me. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. And I think that's the reason why. Well, thank you for that, Bill, and uh, for da- for David, and and one thing that I just want to echo to you, David, Bill, the BA team, John, Brandon, Kim, Bruce, Cheryl, Kami, everybody else listening. You know, as a young, I don't have much of an experience in this world, but one thing I can say is the humility and the deep gratitude with which everybody approaches this work is not only valuable and important, but it's something that we need. And I'm just grateful to be alongside all of you doing this important work. And I think the country needs it. And I think folks that have been sticking around, we still got 92 folks listening. I think it demonstrates the fact that there's a real appetite for this. Um, and so with that, uh, a deep bow to you. And most importantly, I want to take a deep bow to Liz Joyner of the Village Square, to Florida Amen. Humanities, to Eliza, to Leon, all the amazing yeah. people that are putting this event together. Um, today, we're going to close with a very special thing that we did not do the last two times, which is a song. The song is called Chris Cruz. I like the red. I like the blue. Eliza, please also drop the link as we play this song. And with that, deep gratitude. Thank you for the work that you do. And thank you to everybody listening. Let's get out there and let's build a movement. Mm. Thank you all. This was fantastic. It's great to see everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
That is awesome. What a great way to end a wonderful program. How can you listen to that song and not smile? So if you haven't figured it out, this is Corey Nathan back with you. There was so much about that program that I took away and just wonderful, wonderful nuggets. So first of all, Tommy, if you're still listening, (laughs) you had me at Camus. (laughs) I mean, how deep can we get? And yet so much of this is so practical so many great takeaways. I, I loved when they were talking about debate. For, first of all, you know, two different members of the Braver Angels team being on such opposite sides, yet the best of friends, to the extent where when one friend passed away, the other, who was a political opposite, eulogized him. That's that's so touching. And we can do this. It's inspiring. We can do this. When we have different points of view about social issues, political issues, we can do this. You can, as one of the speakers shared, you can talk to someone you disagree with. And, and it was like, it was an epiphany. Oh, and you can feel better about that? Yes, you can, because you're learning something. You're being inspired by someone. You come to a better understanding of different points of view. You know, I loved when when the the idea that America is a debate, the, the very founding of our country. I, it made me think of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, how they, you know, their campaign against each other. It, it, they they you know, they could have written a book on how to do dirty politics. And yet the end of their life from the end of Jefferson's presidency until they died in, in 1826, July 4th, they both died on the same day. And the letters that they wrote, they had such a respect for each other and even a fondness for each other um, across their differences. It was profound when uh, the speakers, uh, the Braver Angels team was discussing, I think the quote was, the idea is not to change their mind about the issues, but to change their mind about each other. That's the goal, but to, to understand that it's a human being. You might vote differently on a particular issue or for a different candidate, but you, if you understand the human being who's making that decision, that's the idea. Um, and, and it all boils down to you can't fight with somebody when you know their heart. There was so much to take away from this program. I hope you appreciated it as much as I did and learned as much from it as I did. So with that, it's time to close out today. Please consider joining our members and supporting this programming. You can become a member for just $7 a month or $76 a year, and your business can join for $250. Go to villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. That's villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. And while you're there, sign up for Village Square's newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. Go to villagesquare.us and scroll down to the bottom for the sign-up box. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at floridahumanities.org. We appreciate you listening to Braver Story 
democracy reignited. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.